0: you're listening to a comics xf podcast
1: wmqa
0: hello and welcome to wmqa the comics xf interview podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them i'm dan grope and i'm will nevin filling in uh tonight and
2: i'm uh i'm overwhelmed by uh by this moment and not having prepared for this bit but uh Hello, I'm
0: glad to be here. (laughs) And this week's guest is the writer of Marvel's new Punisher series and the Mad Cave series, The Devil That Wears My Face, David Pepos. David, how
3: are we doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Excited to catch up with the both of you. And yeah, excited to talk uh, all things Punisher and Devil That Wears My Face. Right
0: on. Uh, so listeners, uh, you may notice that uh, Matt is on assignment uh, this week. What we're doing here at ComicsXF, <laughs> if you weren't already aware, uh, we, we've decided to swap co-hosts as a uh, sweep sweet, sweet stunt. Uh, you remember sweet, sweet. No, you don't. You're not as old as us. Um, <laughs> but and, and uh, whose idea was this, Dan? I, I think it was it was mine and then other people ran with it.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it was definitely yours but uh i am glad to be here i'm happy to be here uh outside of my normal bat chat cage uh, i can discuss other things uh aside from batman but i got a
0: question for you tonight Please, uh, what's what's your go-to pizza My go to pizza. Oh man. man. You're pulling out one of the classics from bat chat too. Uh, I am, I'm a sausage and mushroom guy. Uh, That, that is my go to pie.
2: Mushroom. I I don't know about that. That's uh that's dangerously close to a vegetable. Uh, We'll have to take (laughs) that to the committee, but. I
3: will throw you out uh, uh, something a little different as I try to make my own St. Louis style pizza. And uh, for those who aren't aware of what St. Louis style pizza is. Uh, you do thin crust and you put Italian dressing down before you put down the, the tomato sauce. And then you Boo.
2: spray.
3: It. Oh. God. Boo. Fantastic.
2: Yes.
0: Great. It's great. Listen, stuff. Listen, listen, Alabama. What, what <laughs> do we know? What do we know of pizza?
2: <laughs> I know that Thousand Island dressing does not belong in a pizza. No, no, no. Italian, not Thousand Island. Oh, no. Thousand Island's terrible. Italian. Oh! Oh! Yeah! Yeah! Totally different. Totally different.
3: <laughs> Get out of here! It adds. It adds. It adds a lot. It's really uh, try it, and, and and I'm telling you, the Italian dressing, the liquid smoke, and the cheese. You will thank me later. Ugh! I don't know about that, buddy boy.
0: <laughs> this is starting to feel like an entrapment question. There, will. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, all right. Now you, now you have to answer smart guy. Uh just, just give me all the meats. I'm not, I'm not fancy. Like sausage,
2: meatball, right? I like a, a meatball pizza. Sure. Um, whatever animal you find the pepperoni, side of the ground beef, lots of cheese. Like it, don't, don't, talk, don't complicate this thing with vegetables. Like get the fuck out of here with that.
0: Okay. Then asked and answered. Um, So yeah, Will's here for bat chat, uh, in his place at, at bat chat. Uh, I believe airing this week is Adam wreck from battle of the Adam, uh, and subbing in for Adam. I don't actually know, (laughs) but we'll probably find out before this episode airs. (laughs) It'll, it'll be a surprise. Sweet, sweet. Anything is possible. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a golden girl. Maybe a golden girl will show up. Who knows? But, uh, David, I realize that Halloween is old news by this point, but uh, did I see correctly that you and your fiance, congratulations by the way, uh, dressed up as Johnny and Mark from
3: The Room? Yes, we were Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sistero She was she was Tommy Wiseau and I was Greg, um, and actually our puppy Ruby was the football. Um, so yeah, <laughs> you know it was one of those. I've been I've been pitching that couple's costume for years. And we've never really like pulled the trigger on it. So I think it took the wedding ring um, to like get her to agree to do that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's our that's one of our finest moments, uh, I think, since uh, since we did a uh, Bob Ross and the Happy Tree. Um, so, yes, um, yes, that was that was that was a, a a very fun one. And then we also went to a party where we were uh, uh, pizza wrap. I was the rat and she was the slice of pizza. So uh yeah, we contain multitudes in this house. Nice. That is incredible.
0: What well, will have have you and Abigail done a couple's costume in your time together?
2: We have not. Uh my costumes tend to be esoteric to local running community. So they're not really funny to anyone outside of the local Huntsville, Alabama running community, but I promise you. If you're in that group, they're total
0: winners. Got it. If you know, you know. <laughs> you're playing the bass. I totally get it. Absolutely. So lots to talk about. Let, let's start by talking about your new Punisher series at Marvel with uh, artist Dave Wachter, uh, colorist Dan Brown, letterer Corey Pettit. I'm going to read the synopsis real quick for the listeners because Matt's not here. Fright Castle has disappeared, but evil will always need to be punished. With all new threats rising to claim innocent victims, criminals will need to be aware of a dangerous vigilante hunting them from the shadows. Who is the new punisher? What put him on his path to vengeance? And when the smoke clears, will he even make it out alive? I was just saying, Matt really does like to do the synopsis, doesn't he? Well, he likes to do it and he's good at it. (laughs) He he's got that, you know, that theater background, man. It just there's
3: a there's a panache there and a flavor. That yeah. uh I gotta ask him if he's a cameo, you know, like if I can get him to like do the the, the dramatic reading. I'm curious to see what it, what it would sound like. Li-
0: listen, many, many creators after he has read the synopsis, have said, Man, I gotta get you to, to you know record that for you know XYZ or my next pitch or whatever. I- I've yet yeah, to right? see I've yet to see one put their money where their mouth is. I would love to see that.
3: <laughs> all right, all right. I will, I will ping him. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this thing happen. Okay. (laughs) But uh, how
0: did a nice guy like you walk into a murderous vigilante like this?
3: (laughs) You know, um, it's funny. So I've been working on on this Punisher series since uh, I think, I think Tom Brevoort reached out to me in February. So it's been a long time coming. Um, You know, this has been sort of my between Punisher and the devil that wears my face and uh, moon Knight: city of the dead. I've said, this is sort of my, my gritty street level era. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that the, that the series came together was I, I had written uh, a Punisher in the pages of Savage Avengers. I, uh, when I was told that, um, the, the, the rights, uh, for, for Conan the barbarian, were going to be changing. Um, the first thing I said was, well, well if we have them for one arc that, you know, I can write them out, uh, We need a new lead and i'd love for it to be jake gallows and i know that tom brevoort and i um we talked a lot about sort of like well what does he add to the story and how do we portray him um and you know uh what elements you know do we keep what elements do we change for this particular time travel story and tom said that he really liked the way that i had approached jake and so he reached out to me in in february and said so we would love for you to take over uh, the the Punisher series, and I said, great, all right, I, I can I can think of some ideas for Frank, and uh, he goes, well, that's there's the twist for you, um, is that Frank is 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 going to be off the board, and so we're actually going to use this series to introduce a brand new Punisher, and for a moment I was like, huh. You know, I I have pitches in my back pocket for just about every Marvel book you can think of, but nobody <laughs> says uh, Legacy Punisher is on the bingo card. And so, uh, for for a moment, I was I, I was very nervous. And then, as I kind of thought about it, I was like, you know, Legacy characters are, are a proud tradition in the Marvel universe, and I always consider them to be additive. You know, um, they're always t- taking a, a a proven concept and taking a different angle with them um, and finding that they can be just as viable. Um, you know, a, a, an early conversation that, that Tom Brayworth and I had was about Danny Ketch. Uh, you know Danny Ketch is being a, a, you know a, a legacy hero for uh, for Johnny Blaze. And I even thought a lot about Robbie Rays. Um, you know, in particular how Robbie took the the, the Ghost Rider motif and, and shifted it from motorcycle culture to muscle cars. Yeah. and I, that's really how um, I I wound up approaching Joe Garrison, our new Punisher, is I said, okay, like Frank Castle is the guy; he's a wrecking ball, you know. Um, you 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 read a lot of his '90s comics, and they do sometimes read like 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 a guns and ammo ad. Um, and so for me, I thought, what's a different way that we can kind of keep that level of intensity and not like not skirt away from any of the action or the 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 badassness or the violence, but um, what's a different angle we can take on that? And uh, I thought about John Wick um, in that, you know, John Wick is just as deadly as, as any vigilante you've seen on the screen, but it's all about the choreography. You know, it's the gun-fu of it all. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what weapon is in Joe Garrison's hands. Um, it doesn't, he, he, sometimes he doesn't even need a weapon. He could just use the environment around him, but it's all about the choreography of it all. And I thought, okay, that's the kind of character that I I, I could see, justifying his existence Um, and sort of it's, it's a punisher, but just in the same way that Jake Gallows is a very different punisher than Frank Castle and the way that Rachel Cole Alves is a very different punisher than Frank. This gives Joe kind of his own, his own turf, his own way of of doing things. Um, And so, yeah, we, we, we talked a lot about, you know, just what, what opportunities does a legacy character offer? And I think that's something you know, when I when I first accepted the assignment, um, you know, of course, there was a degree of trepidation., uh, you know, I think anybody who's seen a legacy character debut in the last 10, fifteen years, there's always a lot of controversy. and I, I, I thought a lot about why that is. and i I think it ultimately boils down to, and i've I'm guilty of this. I'm sure you guys have done the same thing is um sometimes I feel like we train our audiences to try to anticipate stories rather than kind of be present in them. Hmm. And a legacy character blows that up because you don't know what to expect. And of course, that kind of drives speculators in, in the plot sense as opposed than, than, than the resale sense. Uh, it, it drives people crazy because uh, you don't know what to expect. And so you can't say, oh, this fits my expectations or this doesn't fit my expectations. It's all very blue sky thinking. Um, so it really has been a, a tightrope, um, a high wire act. But uh, I think, it's really been a fun experience uh, working with Tom Brevoort and working with our artist Dave Wachter. Um, it really has been uh, a, an incredible experience, and uh, I feel like we're just getting started. Um, you know, the 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 potential to a character like this, the 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 corners of the Marvel universe that we can, not only can explore but really kind of just build whole cloth. That's a very rare opportunity, um, and that's one that I've really been tackling. Um, with a lot of enthusiasm and uh, I can tell you my editors at Marvel I have a laundry list of concepts and new villains and things that I want to do with this series and uh, so far uh, everybody seems to be pretty excited by it
0: right on right on now uh,
3: is it is it this
0: is this an anniversary year for the Punisher
3: or or are we like coming up on it yes he just marked his (laughs) literally uh, it was the, it was the Punisher's 50th it was the 50th anniversary since amazing Spider-Man twenty nine, um, just last week. So it's uh, it really is auspicious timing. And I know that like, I have seen some people being like, Oh, but they're introducing a brand new character on an anniversary. And I, it, that is not unheard of. Um, you know, yeah. the, the the immediate one that came to mind was a uh, Asriel as, uh, as uh, the new Batman. And I believe that was in Batman 400. Um, and so, you know, like, we're celebrating the, the, the legacy of the Punisher by doing something just huge and unexpected. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think so much of this is just, how do we add, how do we add to the tapestry? Um, you know, and, and I think in this case, as, as Tom brought it to me, I thought Marvel doesn't really have a John Wick and now they do. Um, and that's kind of a cool piece of the cultural puzzle That that really is Marvel, you know. I mean, you're that's that's just what made this company endure for as long as it has, is when they see something cool in the in the zeitgeist, you're like, we'll we'll try that. And you can look at characters, you know, you look at Blade, you look at Luke Cage, you look at Iron Fish and and Shang Chi, and uh, you know, I'm sure a ton of others that I haven't even thought of. And so uh it's nice to kind of uh add a little brick to the house of ideas and um yeah, just really have a lot of fun uh, with very little in the way of, uh, of of baggage or or prior expectations. We really get to to get to cut loose and do our own thing. What's it like being able to write with that sense of freedom? Because
2: you know, certainly if you were writing a Punisher series with Frank Castle, there is a lot of
3: of, of accumulated characterization that comes into that. But yeah. this guy, brand new. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's very freeing, um, you know, and in certain ways, it's kind of fun. Um, you know, I think there's sometimes an impulse to try to like to establish every single thing from the jump, but um, and not to disparage any amazing uh, creators who've come before me, but you look at characters like, say, Wolverine, you know, uh, was Wolverine like more exciting when you found out that he grew up in like. Uh, like a farmhouse in like the, Can- like in the Civil War era in Canada, you know, like sometimes like having like a little bit of mystique, like goes a long way and it's kind of fun. Mm. Um, but I do think, you know, speaking of, uh, of sort of the accumulated characterization, you know, I, I, I think for me, you know, I, I read a newspaper, like I know that the Punisher is a controversial character that has a, a great degree of, political charge in both directions. Sure. And I think this was kind of our way of being able to really kind of walk away from that a bit, is to say, all right, like it's the year 2023. Um we 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 read newspapers. Like how do we make how do we introduce this character in as responsible of a way as possible? But also in a way that I completely understand the initial impulse from a lot of readers saying, well, you know, if if the Punisher is swinging in this direction politically we should counter punch in this direction and don't get me wrong I and mean, I think for certain books that is a, that is the, the the right move but I think for a book that's already this a character that's this politically charged if you punch and you counter punch and you punch again and it's just never ending and it only gets worse so for me I, I really thought a lot about what was kind of the the the, the original intent of this character as as he uh, transitioned from being just a, a one-off Spider-Man villain to kind of having a, a, a degree of his own, um, of his own notoriety, his own fame. And the thing that really kind of s- s- spoke to me, I, I met with a, I met a Punisher fan at a convention recently, had a Punisher hat, a Punisher t-shirt, even a Punisher coffee cup. That's uh, too much really Punisher. Had yeah. Yeah. The trifecta go. Yeah. was he carrying I, around, know, was he, I, carrying, around <laughs> he was carrying around the coffee cup he was carrying around the coffee cup he's <laughs> he was carrying the coffee cup and as I was talking with him about it um you know at first I think I think he was very defensive about the idea of a new Punisher because uh, he wasn't really sure what to expect and as we were talking I, I I said I gave him a question that I don't think he was expecting which I said do you ever feel like the system is just rigged against the little guy and I feel like that, is really kind of the core ethos of the, the Punisher as, as a creation, you know, the Punisher came out the same year as Death Wish. Um, You know, his first limited series came out when Bernard Goetz was on trial for being the subway vigilante. Like there's a certain zeitgeist that was tapped with that character as he rose to prominence. And I think back then it was sort of Jerry Conway, uh, I think uh, really kind of nailed it best. He talked about the Punisher being an indictment of society, that any society that, that needs a punisher. There's something terribly wrong. And I think that question at one point was about due process and whether or not like the law's hands are are, are tied from, from, from carrying out justice. But I think the question as we see it today is doesn't the system feel rigged against the little guy? You know, you see it in our politicians, you see it in our businesses, you see it in uh, the way our laws are enforced or not enforced and so the thing that I had pitched to Tom and and my goals for the for the character over the long term is I said, I would really love to write somebody who's the people's punisher. You know, a guy who's fighting for the little guy, the people who fall in the cracks and there's no one there to help them, that the law can't or won't help. Those are the people that have to go outside the law and they need somebody who has the training, who has the willingness to self-sacrifice, the the single-mindedness to step in. And so I, I said, I want a, a Punisher that fights to the little guy. I want a Punisher who can punch up. And so I, I think there's, there's been a lot of debate about whether or not you can tell a Punisher story that, you know, is it, it does it have to be the expense of one group or the other. And I, I reject that. I reject that binary. And, and that's really been kind of our goal. The way that I've written this series is, I don't think, you have to tell a Punisher story at the expense of somebody else, um, and that's something that I've really tried to take into consideration with this book and with the the you know the the sorts of threats that Joe is facing. I certainly am not out there saying if you're a Frank Castle fan you're a bad person. Uh, quite the contrary. I mean, I I, I literally pitched a Punisher myself, uh, you know, in Savage Avengers, and that was actually the second Punisher that I had asked for. Uh, no, third. Uh, I had actually asked for Frank and that's how I found out that he was in the hand. Um, mm-hmm. And then I asked for Rachel Cole Alves, and I couldn't fit her in. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, knock on wood, you know, if I stay on the series long enough, uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get at least Rachel Cole Alvis in there. Cause I love that character. Um, so yeah, anyway, that was a very long and rambling way of saying uh, there's a lot of freedom that comes into this, but there's also a lot of expectations. And I think, seeing the response to this um especially from certain corners of the internet um who you know they they, they might have a vested interest in kind of stirring up discord um it, it, it turns into a little bit of a Rorschach test um and i think the thing that's been so interesting to me with this book's launch and even just the announcement leading up to it is seeing people speculating and seeing people sometimes kind of make stuff up <laughs> um But, you know, that's that's the great thing about comics is ultimately at the end of the day, you can do as many interviews as you want. You can speculate all you want on Twitter. But the thing that matters most is what's on the page. And uh, I couldn't be prouder of the work that that me and and Dave and Dan have done. And uh, I think readers are going to be pleasantly surprised. I think a lot of people have expected, oh, he's going to do this thing that, you know, this big thing to repudiate the Punisher name, or he's going to do this thing to really double down on things. And uh, no, I don't really have any interest in that. Uh, uh, my interest is telling the, 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 the given given our new Punisher, the best damn runway possible and the most exciting and action packed and cool story that I can write. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, uh, for certain that Dave Wacker has certainly delivered on that. Well,
0: let, uh, since you mentioned Dave, let's let's go there. How did the creative team assemble for this book?
3: Yeah, um, you know that Tom Brevoort, he he, you know, he really has 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 done well by me. Uh, I've worked with him on just about every project at Marvel, with the exception of uh, my Hulk annual. Um, he's he's edited me on everything, and um, he always does right by me in terms of of, of uh casting a project and dave you know it's funny he hadn't been on my radar Um, uh, you know i i i when uh tom said that that dave is going to be on the book i looked him up and i was like oh you know like he did like a bunch of ninja turtles and he'd done um an issue of Spider-Man 2099 exodus um i don't know if his issue of ghost rider had come out yet uh but like you know he'd done a lot of anthropomorphic characters you know between planet of the apes <laughs> and ninja turtles and i you know it's funny <laughs> In retrospect, I don't I don't get it. I don't know why he was 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 a, a, a pigeonholed into the anthropomorphic stuff because Dave draws humans great. Um, he I, I will say I think this might be the best looking project I've done at Marvel to, to date. I mean, Dave usually when I usually when I'm, I'm working on books, it's very much a dialogue with with me and 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 the and the art team, particularly in the thumbnail and layout stage. Um, I don't tend to put in a ton of of reference in the script cuz I always want to give artists a, a chance to 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 try something but every once in a while maybe even more <laughs> than once in a while but you know uh, uh every so often i'll say oh well hey like could we play this element up a little bit or hey maybe there's what if what if we did something like this that might be an even more dynamic way of doing it um and sometimes sometimes i drive my collaborators insane with that but with dave on um, it's pretty much like yeah man uh that looks great. There's very little that I ever have to say. Uh sometimes it's like, hey, could we make this panel a little bigger? Um, you know, really just uh he knows all of his best angles. He draws like a machine. I mean, I the guy draws really quickly, really fast. And it just looks spectacular. And I will say, uh, Dan Brown um on colors, uh, I think he's my favorite colorist to Marvel that I've worked with um, just really, I love the mood that he puts in all the stuff. I know Dave in particular really enjoys, um, you know, he's like, I, I, he's like, if I ever have to see a character with normal flesh tone in a, in a book, again, it'll be too soon. Um, he's always like throw in weird lighting, you know, let's let the characters really kind of reflect the the setting that they're in. And, uh, Corey, um, Corey just deserves a purple heart. Um, you know, I've, He's he's worked. He's done a lot of the lettering, and a lot of the projects that I've done at Marvel. Um, he's done Moon Knight City the Dead. He did uh, my Black, White and Red, our Black, White and Blood story with, with Moon Knight. Um, he's doing Punisher now. And um, he, he really does have the patience of a saint because uh, I tend to write a lot. And then in the lettering past, I, I, I trim, I cut ruthlessly. Um, so he's very patient with me on all that. And then, yeah, you know, um, Tom and and Annalise Bisa and Martin Biro um, really have been like an editorial dream team on this. I've said, if it was another editor asking me to do this, I'm not sure I would have taken the assignment. Um, But it's Tom. And I've worked with him since my very first uh, projects at Marvel on Savage Avengers. Um, I think he's the best in the business. Uh, You know, he really has a a gift for um, troubleshooting story. Um, And the guy, for however many plates that he spins, and he spins a ton of plates, probably more than the general public even knows. Um, And, every, you know, projects are not statistics to him. Um, He really, uh, he drills down. He really makes sure that there are guardrails to make sure that, like, everything, like, works out. And he and I talked, uh, I I said in another interview, uh, this Punisher series was by far the longest development period of anything I've done at Marvel. Um, and it's because you know you have you have so much freedom. It's a lot of rope, and you could certainly hang yourself with it if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, especially because we wanted to keep our origin arc pretty tight, you know, um, uh, four issues of, of origin, uh, we did not want to overstay our welcome. We wanted to make it nice and punchy, but that meant that we really had to like weigh like what sequences do we want to put in this book, and like I've said before, what's the most responsible way of telling this character of introducing this character. Um, and how do we kind of try to to thread the needle and, and avoid some of these political landmines that you know that that, that the character has accumulated over the years? Um, and Tom really like a conversation that he and I had when I first started at Marvel. Um, for those who aren't aware, I got my start as a reviewer. Um, I, I was I was an intern at DC, uh, graduated during the recession, and wound up reviewing at Newsarama for about a decade. And Tom, uh, as I kept sending him books, finally he he he, he said, and I I I think I, I understand why. He said, "Look, you're one of the f- you're one of the reviewers who like whose name I know, and you were not always an easy person to please, and that means that good enough is not going to be good enough for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know that that like I live by the sword. I gotta you know I gotta I gotta keep my standards just as high as when I was reviewing those books and I told him how much I appreciated hearing that Um, because look, life's too short to try to put out books that you're not feeling good about. Uh, um, And so for me, that's always the litmus test for a project is, will I look back on this in five years and be excited that I took the swing and coming up with a brand new character for the Marvel universe? That's a hell of a swing. Um, And so I feel like, you know, Tom and I, I, I think, have, have, have worked together really well over the years. Uh, over the years, we uh, over the last two and a half years that we've worked together. Uh, but uh, that is multiple years; it counts. Years. <laughs> it, it, it counts. Um,
0: Plus, it's and, the yeah, pandemic,
3: it, so you know, time it's, it's pandemic time. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> um, but I think he really kind of helped, help you know, help me kind of land this story, and really kind of helped me shape this in a way that if I was just doing it on my own, blindfolded with no sounding board, this could have turned into a very different, very disorganized, kind of sloppy story. Um, and instead I feel like this feels like a very tight story, I think structurally without spoiling too much of the story, you know, I, I tried to evoke a lot of uh, Warren Ellis's Moon Knight just in the way that like, how are these chapters self-contained, but can be done in a way that they still build to like an overarching story you know um and so every chapter you know has a beginning middle and end so you do get like a fun story out of it but at the same time they all build towards one central theme which is if, i don't know if well quick question when is this going up is this is this, this going, is going up the issue next comes out tuesday
0: so the comic will have been out for almost a week next tuesday all
3: right so okay so the comic will already be up so without spoiling too much um joe is not out there calling himself the Punisher, you know, uh, that's sort of a a minor spoiler for issue one, is that that is a legacy that finds him. And so for this origin story, everybody has been asking, why would somebody else call himself the Punisher, knowing what that name means? And uh, it's all I can do not to say that is the story. That is the story. Um, And how does Joe's very personal mission of revenge how does this become something self-sustaining? How does this go wide? How does this transform from a mission to a war? Uh and so that is it, it was was a, a lot of the meta thinking about this story, Tom is really good at. And so uh, you know, we we really put heads together and 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 played off each other. I think we I think we bounced ideas off each other for the better part of two months uh before we really kind of locked in on what we were doing. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a really good team. And I think that is is part of the reason why I feel so good about this series and why I feel comfortable moving forward with it is, yeah, out of all the legacy characters in the world, you know, I recognize that this is is, is the tricky one to land. Um, but I think we have really best in business, uh, best in class people working on this series. And so it's really inspired me to bring my A game and um, just watching Dave have so much fun with some of these characters, I, he, 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 uh, I, I, I did a lettering pass on issue three recently. And um, seeing the way that he, he knows that I'm trying to subtly shift gears with each issue and he really runs with that. And he does a really cool job. Um, a very versatile artist. And uh, you'll see, if he's not a household name by, by the end of this, um, uh, there's no justice in this world.
2: How do you keep this guy sort of spiritually connected to Frank Castle and the Punisher legacy while also going off and sort of doing your own new thing?
3: Boy, that well, okay, there's only so much I can answer that without spoiling it, but um, without spoiling too much, you know, this is a story of acceptance isn't the right word, but it is about how does Joe come to adopt this name? And so I think I think that is, is is a lot of ways of how you keep things kind of spiritually connected to Frank Castle, because ultimately Frank Castle is a choice. You know, I think if you want to really boil him down, and I think uh, Jason Aaron's previous run, I think really interrogated that in a big way, is that when you take away the guns and you take away the revenge and you take away all of it, being the Punisher is a choice, um, and so I think beyond that, I think it's it's figuring out you know, and this is kind of the cool thing about doing a legacy character. It really feels like a centrifuge, you know. Uh, you're really trying. You're, you're you're figuring out how do you separate the part, the core parts of a character. What are the parts that like. This isn't a Punisher book if you don't have this, you know, like I could give the guy like a star spangled shield, but then he's not the Punisher, you know, then he's, then he's Captain America. Um, So you're trying to figure out like what kind of elements uh, are, 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 does every Punisher have when you're thinking of Jake, when you're thinking of Rachel, when you're thinking of Joe now Um, things like, you know, uh, I think having an arsenal of weaponry uh, is certainly a a, a core part, you know, just a signature, signature weaponry, uh, so to speak. Um, the 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 grittiness, the tenacity, the badass attitude, um, the single mindedness, you know, of uh, being willing to take whatever hit they gotta take, if it means taking out the other guy. Um and I think also just kind of the 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 pursuit of bad guys, you know. Um, uh, granted, I think the 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 modus operandi is gonna be very different for Joe, especially uh Michael's, you know, beyond his 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 origin story. Um but you know it's still figuring out you know like the punisher takes out bad people you know that's kind of the 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 goal for the character but like i said you know so much of doing a legacy character you got to figure out what's different what's new um and some of that comes down to design um you know the same way that like miles morales has such a killer design one that absolutely feels cut from the same cloth as peter parker it feels like the next evolution it's sort of it, it's like oh this of course this person is the successor and i think dave did a really cool job with uh our new punisher design one that you know has a very different signature look than than frank um it's 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 certainly it's not the skull that everybody thinks um and if anything sort of his shield ballistic gear and his, particularly those ballistic chest plates uh you know they wind up kind of causing a little bit of a a case of mistaken identity, which winds up really kind of being tossing the snowball down the hill that winds up becoming Joe, accepting this identity. Um but I think it's also just, you know, how does he move? What are, you know, uh, you know, the the, the gun fu of it all is is something that really kind of sets sets Joe apart. And um I know Marvel hates it when I talk about the distinguished competition, but I, I think it, it bears it bears mentioning. Is that, you know when I talk to Dave about a visual vocabulary for this series. Um, I talked a lot about uh, Damien Scott's work on Batgirl uh, with Cassandra Kane. I talked a lot about Scott McDaniel's work with Nightwing, um, just figuring out like, you know, uh, strobe effects. You know, can we fit in like cool things like that to show this character and movement? Um, you know, how do we kind of do the cool gun-fu elements? Every script that I wrote, I I was like, okay, I want to find at least one beat that he's able to like just use something in the environment. Because I thought that's half the fun of a character like this is that you can drop Joe in a restaurant or a nightclub or an office building, um, or you know, an abandoned factory, or, you know, two thousand leagues under the sea, twenty thousand leagues under the sea, uh, you know, in the kingdom of Atlantis, and he will find a cool way to kill somebody uh using that environment. Um
2: And you certainly did that in the first issue without spoiling anything else.
3: Yeah. Uh but you know the other thing that I, I I think this this is my goals long term, um, you know something I, I talked with with my editors a lot about was uh, you know Frank Castle does not have exactly a robust rogues gallery and it's it's obvious why uh, because most people do not live to see round two uh, with Frank <laughs> Castle, um, but I, you know, I I looked at I looked at characters like Dick Tracy and even Batman and I thought you know what a cool thing for Joe might be. That yeah, of course he's gonna rack up a body count. Like he's not he's not hugging people, you know. Like he's not like like but I think it's for Joe, there are some punishments worse than death. And so I do have some really cool villain concepts that I'd love to explore down the line, where you know they come back for round two, but they're pretty messed up. Um, and some people just do not know when. To just like cash their chips in, um, and that's okay, you know. Like I, that's something that I've talked about at length with my editors, and I've sent them a laundry list of new villain concepts of just what happens for round two. Um, and I thought of a number of ways that we can kind of have villains keep coming back for more and more punishment. And uh, you know, the definition of insanity is coming back and expecting something different. Um, but you know, Joe's a tough guy. Uh, I think I think he's he, he's he's more than capable of handling himself
0: the new punishers name is joe garrison punisher 2099's game is jake gallows coincidence
3: (laughs) um just that we wanted uh, a a a very tough name um you know uh, i i i think um you know there there were a number of options that were kind of tossed around and that then and, and joe garrison was really kind of the, the name that was settled on and yeah i think you know you're trying to find like a cool you know a, a cool you know strong name but also just one that like listen the punisher i mean the punisher is literally a character for 50 years who's had a giant skull in his chest like i don't think subtlety is like really like the watch word here um uh, <laughs> so yeah, you know, it was it was it was just finding something that like really stood out uh, that would be memorable and uh uh yeah, mission accomplished. Uh people certainly know his name and uh uh hopefully they'll be saying it a, a, a lot over the long term.
0: So uh what are going going into this, you know, what are some of your favorite yeah. Punisher stories?
3: Oh, great question. Um so boy it's so tough there's a bunch um so obviously i i love rick remender's run um particularly that opening dark rain arc that he did with jerome opena mm-hmm. um that and that is probably like the biggest influence on this on this origin story at least just tonally and, and the way we're going about doing things um uh, because we certainly wanted joe to be able to cross pollinate you know with with the marvel universe um you know we were going a little more elevated um you know uh in terms of the weaponry in terms of the bad guys um you know i just think you're in the marvel universe um this you know why not make good use of that tapestry um uh greg uh greg rucka's run um uh, is spectacular uh i certainly read that uh from cover to cover uh including the uh the war zone miniseries which i love um you know those are fantastic um uh, I, I read um, uh, Steve Grant's uh, original miniseries uh, with the character and I actually met Steve uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, we had corresponded on Twitter because he's a huge fan of The Black Knight uh, who I'd written in Savage Avengers and he he really seemed to enjoy the way that I wrote Dane. Um, so I, I very uh, nervously told him at San Diego right before the announcement. I was like, hey, so I don't know if you know, we're doing a a, a, a legacy Punisher, And he actually was very kind about it, very gracious, he, he already knew. Um, but, uh, let's see some other Punisher series, of course, uh, uh, Jason's, uh, Max run as well as Jason's, uh, most recent run, uh, the Garth Ennis run, of course, you know, you, 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 can't not, uh, do that. Um, Mark Wade, uh, did some really cool stuff with him in the Omega drive. Um, uh, you know, that, that, uh, I think that was a three-parter. It was a crossover with, uh, uh, Spider-Man, uh, Daredevil and Punisher. Uh oh, they were brain all brain after brain uh, brain. Uh, a magia magia uh drive that was like in an, an old Fantastic Four uniform. Uh really fun stuff there. Uh and actually, you know, I'm I'm thinking like just even like my earliest uh, you know, my earliest introductions to the character. Uh honestly is in the pages of Spider-Man. Um the 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 round robin uh uh arc uh that had Jeff Wilde as midnight. Uh you know, that introduced me to a lot of Marvel characters. So I have a lot of affection for that, for that series. So, yeah, I mean, I was really trying to be omnivorous. Um, I read uh, uh, Jerry, Jerry Duggan's, um Punisher Kill Crew. That was a super fun book. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I'm sure a ton of others that I, I'm, I'm not even uh, uh, thinking of at the moment. But, um, oh, Matt Rosenberg's run, uh, of course, uh, Becky Cloonan's run. Um, I tried to read just about every modern run that I could. Um, And I I covered a pretty significant amount of of ground. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, the Punisher in a lot of ways he is a character that's kind of similar to Daredevil. And I'm not even talking about in the street level tone, but just that he is a character who really has inspired many uh, creators best work Um, just really draws something out of these, these, these creators. And I think it speaks to the intensity of the character. You know, there's, there's always, it's a, it's like a Rorschach test, you know, as a writer, you try to figure out like, what makes a guy like that? And, and something that I always find so interesting, especially in fandom, especially online fandom, especially where like now we've shifted to a binge model. So a lot of times people can read like, you know uh uh 50 years of punisher on on, on marvel unlimited and uh, they may have synthesized a very different take on what that character means versus any particular writer you know um, who might say well this is something that gravitates toward uh, that i gravitate towards um the cool thing about introducing a new character like joe is there are no rules like that you, you really can kind of uh, uh do your own thing um so yeah, it's definitely um, it's part archaeology, like any big two assignment. But in this, you really are doing a lot more heavy lifting in terms of just like, all right, I got to invent this thing whole cloth. Um, and so I, I remember telling Tom uh, as I was working on it, I was like, you know, really, it's such a fun challenge because you're you're juggling all the elements of the big two that you have to navigate. Um, you know, what characters are available, you know, what's your runway? Are there any things that, you know, are, somebody else is using elsewhere that you can't touch upon? But also the creator owned side of things where you really are doing a ton of world building. Um, and so I will say, like, for example, that was the tricky balancing act. I know we talked about this is, I guess, the reverse of a spoiler because it's something that's not happening. Um, we talked early on about like who we fit Spider-Man in the opening arc. Um, And that was something I love Peter Parker. He's my favorite character in fiction. I got to write him in Spider-Verse Unlimited earlier this year. And it's like a total bucket list moment. You got to know what kind of self-restraint it took for me to say, I don't think that's the right move Uh, because you have a tight runway. You're, you know, you're trying to get this origin off the, off the ground in in four issues. And I really wanted this to be Joe's story. I didn't want this to be, uh, uh, I didn't want to use it. It resort to any cheap tricks on well you know it works because he leaned on a more established character like joe is a legitimate character on his own and he doesn't need spider-man to make him so so yeah those were uh, one of the many 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 conversations we had kind of going into this but it really is a act of like you want to honor the history but for a book like this you also get to to, to trailblaze your own so mm-hmm. it's a, a great power and a great responsibility
2: I see what no, you did. Joe there. Garrison's
3: new catchphrase. No, I'm kidding. Not... <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: know uh, what really makes better than mad. <laughs> so uh, a thing about the, the Punisher traditionally, uh, you know, yeah. Frank Castle at least is yes. He's a murder vigilante with roots in 1970s, urban decay movies, but he's also been an angel and a Frankenstein and a future space ghost writer. Uh, Speaking not specifically about Joe Garrison, but, you know, your work to date, you know, what is the most you've gotten to bend a character without breaking them?
3: Well, I mean, I started off bending characters. I mean, my my very first book was Spencer and Locke, which is, you know, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? Mm -hmm. Um, that's why, you know, I I, when I say that that this Punisher book feels like a tightrope, I mean, I started off walking on tightrope. So, like, you know, after a while... You just learn not to look down and you just don't let the vertigo get to you. Um, I think so. Certainly Spencer and Locke was a big one and, and the OZ, I mean, um, so I do think a lot of my a lot of my books involve kind of bending characters to 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 the breaking point and seeing how 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 long we can take it. But um yeah, I think probably at Marvel, I mean, beyond introducing a brand new legacy punisher, um, you know, uh, I would say. Probably Miles Morales' Deathlock in Savage Avengers, um, where you know we uh, when we put that book together, I had really wanted to use Deathlock. Um, I, when I the, one of the first times I'd ever emailed Tom Brebert, um, he had asked what kind of books are you interested in, and 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 amongst the, the characters I threw in there were Deathlock and Cloak and Dagger, so I come by all that honestly. And um, at the time, I guess I can say this: it's not really it it, it wouldn't be relevant anymore in the in the current uh and, and and the current climate. Um I had originally wanted to write a deathlock story as a as a vehicle to bring back James Rhodes from from the dead when uh-huh. he was killed too. Um or at minimum, if you know, once Brian Bendis brought him back at, at the end of his Iron Man run, I was like, what about the parts that he didn't bring back? Um, you know, what if the government used, you know, stapled them together, uh saying, oh, this guy is a tactical genius who also knows the ins and outs of Stark Tech. Let's make him a deathlock. Um, and I remember pitching that to Tom uh, at the outset of Savage Avengers. And he was like, look, it's not a bad idea. Um, But like, what if there was somebody with powers that could kind of like be additive? And so that's I took a weekend and thought about it. And I was like, Tom, this is gonna be crazy. And I know you don't know me very well, because I'd never written a script for him at that point. But I was like, if I treated him like with the utmost respect, like what if we did Miles Morales? And it's the best decision I have made at Marvel to date. Um, he wound up becoming the heart of the book, um, you know, writing writing the, the the Barry Allen moment of future Miles Morales, um, sacrificing himself to stop the hordes of Annihilus, the Annihilation Wave, um, is I still think my proudest moment at Marvel to date. Um, and just. Um, and I will say, like, just as as both as a creator and as a fan, um, getting to write that character, even in like kind of a, a through the looking glass kind of way, um, you know, not only were we able to give him that that ending, that redemption by the end of our series, but um, seeing the way that Miles in particular as a character has really transcended and really permeated the culture Um you know, I, I went to a screening uh, just this last week. Uh, the um, They had a symphony uh, presentation of uh, Into the Spider-Verse here in, here in Los Angeles. So they had an actual symphony. Um, they had Daniel Pemberton, um, who, who did the score of Spider-Verse in there. Uh, a, a bunch of the directors were there. And I tell you, it was wall-to-wall people wearing Spider-Man cosplay and sweaters and T-shirts. And seeing those people cheer For a movie that's been out for years, mind you. I mean, this was like Infinity War levels of cheering in a theater. (laughs) And the idea that I could be even a small part of that, that I could be connected to that in some small way, uh, that's a gift. Um, And so it's one that I I, I try not to to take too, too lightly. But I think that's every character has the potential to be like that. Um, and ultimately every character is somebody's favorite, you know, um, there's going to be somebody out there by the time that this interview drops, who's going to be like Joe Garrison's my favorite character and, uh, whoever you are out there, I thank you already. Um, but <laughs> those are the people writing for, you know? Um, so yeah, anyway, that was a really long and rambling answer to your question, but, uh, hopefully I got it in there somewhere. <laughs> well, uh, you've got another book on the stands right now, so let let's let's
0: pivot to that. Uh yeah. You've also got the Devil That Wears My Face at Mad Cave with artist Alex Cormac and letterer Justin Birch, and uh, I'll go ahead and read the synopsis from the first issue there.
2: Oh, uh, the, oh, oh, oh. can I oh, can
0: I try? Oh, can, I try? Oh.
2: can I try? Yes, Will. Yes, please do. Yeah. The year is seventeen forty, and the Vatican is in turmoil, grappling with a profound crisis of faith. Outcast exorcist father Franco Vieri is dispatched on a mission of grave importance to rescue a Spanish nobleman from the clutches of the sadistic demon known as Legion. But when the exorcism goes tragically wrong, Vieri finds himself trapped in a stranger's body and learns what horrors lie ahead when the devil wears his face.
3: You win. (laughs) (laughs) great. All right. I'm going to have you do the cameo next time. I'm uh, Matt. Matt is no longer in, in, in. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Suck it, Matt.
3: <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, boy, I'm so excited about the devil that wears my face. Uh, I couldn't be happier with the response to that first issue. Um, It's the best reviewed first issue I've ever done, uh, Ooh, which is okay. a, a, a really fun. Um, Yeah, for those who aren't aware of the book, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Will read the synopsis. So beautifully, the way that I've pitched it, The Devil That Wears My Face, is it's face-off meets The Exorcist. Um, It is about Father Franco Vieri. He's a Vatican exorcist who is dealing with a pretty profound crisis of faith. And his superiors wind up sending him to Spain to uh, perform an exorcism on the son of a Spanish nobleman. And unfortunately for Vieri, the ritual backfires. And so suddenly he is trapped in a stranger's body while Vieri's Whoops. body, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, everyday, everyday problems um, while Vieri's body has been uh, hijacked by the biblical demon known as Legion. And so it really is this kind of fun game of cat and mouse. Um, you know, we're able to throw in such uh, fun horror sequences into the mix, but also, um, you know, swashbuckling action and action and this really kind of fun court intrigue uh, for what's called the Curia. Which is kind of the, the 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 Pope's inner circle in the Vatican. Um, it's been a really fun book. I it, it doesn't I, I can't think of another book on the stands that's like it. Uh and I think Alex Cormick is just one of the most gifted horror artists of his generation. Um, he, he really just every page looks drop dead gorgeous. Um terrifying, but gorgeous. And um, he has just drawn the work of his career on this one. I mean, I think he was born to draw like kind of a, a horror version of the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and that's really what Alex is delivering. And um, similar to Dave Wachter, uh, Alex draws like a machine. I mean, he's constantly, he's one of the rare artists who can juggle multiple books at once. Um, and, you know, he'll be like, oh, here's three or four pages today. Uh, and they're all spectacular. Uh, it's very rare that I ever have to ask Alex to make a, a, a tweak. So yeah, he's... Um, He's fantastic. And also just a really gracious, nice guy to boot. Um, So Alex really is the unicorn. Uh, If there were more people in this industry working like Alex, I think we'd be in a much better place. Um, But uh, I'm glad to be riding his coattails uh, for The Devil Wears My Face. And uh, yeah, it's my first horror book. And uh, boy, uh, seeing the reception to to just the first issue, I think this is a genre that I I hope to revisit uh, again and again.
2: What Why kind not? of pressure did you have to get the book ready before Halloween?
3: Uh, well, you know what? It's funny. Actually, this book has been a long time coming. Uh-huh. I start. I chat. I started talking with Chris Fernandez and Mark London at Mad Cave Studios. It was actually two New York Comic Cons ago, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 they they've been real supporters of my work uh, since my first book, Spencer and Locke. And, um, you know, always uh, sharing my work and, and, and always being really supportive. And so they, they, they hit me up at that New York Comic Con two years ago and said, listen, we're, we're making an expansion to, to Mad Cave. We're bringing on creators that you really respect, uh, like Colin Bunn and Chris Sabella and Steve Orlando. And we would really love to have you join that class. And, you know, those are three names that like I was like, yeah, I really I respect all those guys. Yeah, sure. So we started batting ideas around and we all really gravitated towards devil very quickly. Um, you know, I, I love face off. So being able to do something like that. But uh, anyway, to actually answer your question, um, as I was kind of getting a critical mass of scripts together, we started talking about, like, who would be a good artist for this book? And I was like, it has to be Alex Cormack. Like Alex is just I- I've been a fan of his since his work on Sync over at Comic Comicstrad, mm-hmm. uh, his, his, his collaborations with Rich Duick over at IDW and now uh, Drive Like Hell over at Dark Horse. Um, The Crimson Cage, which is a, an amazing book at AWA. Probably uh that or, or not all robots is probably my favorite AWA book. To, That's to my make. top two as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was like, I was like, I would love the chance to work with him. We've 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 been friends over the convention circuit, and because we're mutual friends with Rich Duick, um and uh Mad Cave was like, Yeah, do you know him? I was like, Yeah, I know him. So I I pitched I pitched Alex uh over Twitter DM. I was like, "Here's the here's the concept. Do you have any interest?" And he was like, "Yes, I would love to draw this. However, I need until it was like January or February of this year." Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, we, Mad Cave was totally cool with it, and they were like, "Actually, based on the timing, I think we can hit a Halloween release date." And I was like, "Perfect." Um, I, I give Mad Cave a ton of credit. They've really thrown weight behind this book. Um, they've been very proactive, uh, particularly on the sales side of things. Um, you know, they've been doing a lot of outreach to stores, a lot of outreach to the book market. Uh, um, they've been a really fun publisher to work with. And and, and working with Mike Martz and Christina Harrington, um, you know, I've I worked with them. They were my editors on Scouts Honor uh, when they were at Aftershock. So getting to kind of uh, reunite with them, um, you know, Mike, Mike is a terrific editor. Um, you know, he's always so good with the big picture elements of it. And then Christina, meanwhile, she really knows how to like tighten up the script. Like there have been several instances where Christina's like, hey, this beat, what if you did it like this to really make it pop? And um, she's got a great sensibility of these things. Uh, and I, I got to see her at, at Baltimore Comic-Con uh, a few weeks ago and I told her, I was like, you know, you're one of my favorite editors uh, who isn't Mike Martz and Tom Braveward. Um, and she was very happy to hear that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's been a really fun team. And um, uh, but, yeah, getting that Halloween release date, uh, super fun. Um, and I really appreciated that we kind of led the pack um, in terms of this year's horror outings. So I'm very excited for people to see uh, what we have in store for issue two and beyond.
0: Yeah, we we talked a little bit about, you know, Mad Cave is a new publisher for you, uh, you know, yeah. and. I, I guess what what has it been like to as a, as a writer watching the the independent comic book publishing scene change over the last two or three years?
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, look. I mean, you know, you think of that 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 phrase in uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight. Uh, you know, where where Jim Gordon is talking about how like batman is like fdr you know and, and pearl harbor where it's like it's too it's too big um and i i wind up revisiting that a lot you know um it, it, it's sort of we comics creators are sort of we, we we are we are the boatmen and uh the industry is the sea and you know you can't yell at the sea for when it wants to roil up it's just that's what the sea does i
2: mean you can Um, if you want to but it's not going to change
3: anything it's not going to change anything (laughs) exactly you can yell at the you can yell at the ocean all you want um uh, but i think you know you're better served learning how to swim um and you're better served uh kind of packing a life vest and you're served you know having a life raft um and so for me it's really it's how do you diversify you know um and that's why you know I I love doing uh my big two work but I also want to make sure that I keep having my my toes in the creator own sphere um and and in the Kickstarter sphere for for that matter the crowdfunding space um you know we're going to be doing another Kickstarter for the OZ um in 2024 uh we've got a uh we're about halfway finished with the art on it now uh but now we're sort of in the in the November holidays so it's not worth doing until mm-hmm. then until we're on the other side of all that. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. It's like publishers come, publishers go. Um, you know, the only thing that, that that I, the thing that you really try to want to keep an eye out on and you, unfortunately you can't predict it is, you know, you just kind of hope, like you hope that if you do business with a publisher that they will, you know, honor their contracts, they will honor their commitment, um, that they will stay in business you know, long enough for, for your book to come out. Um, you know, I've had publishers that have not done that. Um, you know, uh, that, that there, that's the reason why there isn't a Spencer in lock volume three yet uh, is because we're, we're in the process of, of handling that with, with a delinquent publisher. Um, but I think, you know, it all comes in waves. And so you really just, you know, that's why I'm always so interested in seeing publishers who are trying new things and, 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 and being aggressive you know, um, the way that Mad Cave, for example, you know, brought on Mike Martz and and, and acquired Paper Cuts. Um, And the fact that they are, while they're kind of seen as newcomers in the direct market, um, they have a very robust uh, apparatus with dealing with the book market, you know? And I think that's something that a lot of traditional direct market publishers treat as an afterthought. Or you see things like what Vault is doing um, with this new program, you know, where uh, certain first issues they're, they're, um, they're giving them free, you know, they're giving them uh, in batches of 25. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, as, as I'm sure they are of like, well, how's that going to work? You know, like, um, you know, will that help things? Will it not? Um, you know, I, I always try to kind of keep abreast of the, the, the retailer contingent. And so if I hear anything coming out of comics pro, I'm always thinking like, okay, how does that work? Um, you know, I, I think there are of course, global sea changes that that the industry could stand to make. Um, and there are some decisions that are maybe less helpful than others. Um, but at the end of the day, I always go back to that Frank Miller where, you know, it's, it's too big. Um, I ask retailers all the time, is there anything that one creator on the ground can do? And they often say, just keep trying to deliver the best material you can, the most accessible material you can. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, you know, most of my books have snappy little log lines. And that's <laughs> because I, I want to, if, if one retailer hears it and says, oh, hey, the devil that wears my face, it's face off means The Exorcist, you're going to love it. Or this new Punisher, hey, it's like John Wick beats The Fugitive, I think you're really going to dig it. Um, I know the shorthand can sometimes feel reductive, but for me, I wear my influences on my sleeve. Um, I wear my. I, I love my inspirations. And in fact, if I didn't love them that much, I wouldn't write a book, you know, drawing from them. Um, but I also use it as hopefully a tool for retailers to hand sell, you know, even for me at cons. Um, you know, I, 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 at New York Comic Con, uh, I had a bunch of copies of The Devil Who Wears My Face. And it's amazing to say, hey, do you like horror movies? And of course the people who are walking away, they suddenly stop in their tracks and it's almost like a look of resignation on their face. They're like, I do love horror movies. Why, what are you, what are you going to sell me? (laughs) Um, And they they go through like the five stages of acceptance. um, But then they're very happy having picked the thing up. Um, And, and I feel like that's, that's, I live for that. It's my favorite thing at conventions. It's something I miss a little bit. Um, since I've done big two work and I've signed with comic sketch art and I can't quite be the, the carnival barker that I used to be. Um, but I love that moment of you stop the reader in their tracks and their curiosity gets the better of them, you know, and that's curiosity that turns into enthusiasm. Um, and that's something that I, I keep trying to do with my work. Um, but yeah, you know, ultimately you try to just do your due diligence as best you can. You talk to your friends, um, you know, what are their experiences? I'm lucky enough that I've got representation um, that I I work with a terrific Matt Belford over at New Leaf Agency, who like also kind of gives me gives me a second set of eyes, um, you know, and can really advocate for me to make sure that like we're getting the best deal we can and that we're, Doing our due diligence in any deals that we go into, we're doing it with our eyes open. And I think that's really all creators can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if you guys have ever interviewed Charlie Stickney of, of White yep. Ash fame, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he will always be the first to say that um, if you don't like any of that, you should go to Kickstarter and, and, and really kind of uh, make your own shingle. And he's not wrong. Um, you know, I think uh, for me, I see these forces as a pendulum you know, uh, creator own to superheroes and direct market to Kickstarter to the book market. Um, these all feed into each other. Um, and so I think my advice for any creator is if you to, to best weather the storm, you want to diversify as much as you can and, um, and just be as aggressive as possible. Um, I think if my trajectory has proven anything, um, eventually when you make enough books, like, I don't think Marvel like wanted to hire me at <laughs> the outset, uh, but I just kept sending them stuff and they were like, Well, I guess he's not going <laughs> away. So it's either us or DC. Uh, we better take him before DC does. And um, it's worked out really well for me. So uh that's that's my thing, is just keep making stuff. Um, and you know, publishers are great, but also do your due diligence. And if a deal sounds terrible and many of the entry level ones are you really gotta like do some soul searching of what happens if this all fails are you still gonna feel okay having made the book do you think that they'll even make get the book out um, if a public if you're if you're concerned about a publisher not even getting the book out they're not worth doing business with, in, in my opinion but then there's this sort of you know my first my first three books they all came out um, that's something I can still sell those books. Even if my publisher has not paid me since 2020, uh, um, you know, so it is kind of, you're, you're, you really gotta do your due diligence and just figure out like what, what's the worst case scenario that you're willing to live with, um, and just build that critical mass until you don't have to worry about that anymore.
2: Aside from yeah. messing with your money. Uh what are some other red flags in dealing with publishers that you've learned and picked up along mm-hmm. the way?
3: Yeah, messing with the money is a big one. Um you know, are there a lot of delays uh with their with their with their books? Um you know, because that ultimately kind of erodes your sales floor. Um you know, like if they don't trust that your books are going to come out on time because this these other series don't come out on time, then they might they might say well why should i order your first issue cuz issue 2 might not come out for 3 months uh so that's i think a big thing um if you're able to get a reversion clause you're not it's not typical but if you're able to get one it's great um you know i think figuring out what's the pay structure you know is there a page rate involved uh up front um, that you would then have to earn out before you get back end is it entirely back end that can be a little dicey you know, um, if, if the publisher then decides to do Hollywood accounting and just say, there is no back end, um, uh, which, you know, this I, book has I, never made money. This book has never made money and it's gone through three printings, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think also just, you know, do they seem reputable? Like, you know, um, who's involved in it? Um, who, you know, do they have any sort of track record? And I, you know, I know that there are a lot of new publishers that, 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 that pop up and sometimes they'll get very big names involved. And I mean, if you're a very big name, then like, I think at that point that like you get the money, you know, um, you get the money and, and, and maybe the publisher works out and maybe it doesn't, but you got the money because you're able to leverage your name like that. But I, I don't, I don't see myself as a creator like that. I, I think a lot of creators starting out certainly aren't like that. Um, so you need to like, just, can you do it? But I think I think I wish I had a better answer for all this, because unfortunately there are some publishers, you know, and I. I don't want to pick on anybody um, at, at Aftershock, but like I was very surprised to hear about what happened over there, um, you know, and I, I'm very fortunate, you know, like I I was I was paid for for Scouts Honor. You know, I, I, I don't have I don't have any beef, but there were people who were left in the lurch like mid project. And I don't know how you anticipate that sort of thing, you know. Um, so I think it's 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 really just, you just you do your due diligence. If you're not paid, you you know, if you're working on a page rate and they are late paying, you don't work until you're paid. Um, you know, and I think that's something that a lot of aftershock expats that I've spoken to have 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 said to me. But, you know, it's just we're in a weird time, you know, the market's weird, the economy's weird, the world is weird. Um, and and so, you know, you really kind of just think like, there's only so much you can do. And so then it comes down to at some point, you know, you're rolling the dice. It's just this business. Um, and I always say whenever people say like, oh, you lost Conan after like, you know, <laughs> after your five issues, like, how, you know, how'd you deal with that? And I always say like, Man, if I didn't know how to roll with the punches, I'd better pick a different sport. Um, you know, like,
1: you,
2: you go know, back to
3: journalism. Go back to journalism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like, like, it's, it's, it really is, it, it, you know, it's a stormy time in the industry, but I think the only, the only way that you can win the game is by playing it. Um, and it's not for everybody. It's certainly not for the faint of heart. It certainly is. Can be a very heartbreaking industry, um, even in the best of times. Oh. I always just try to remember the best parts.
0: As we kind of start to cool down here, is there anything else on the horizon that you can talk about, or you know, how close are we to the next thing that that would be getting announced? <laughs> huh.
3: Well, so let's see. So, um, the OZ, um, mm-hmm. we'll be doing our, our our third and final Kickstarter for that series. Uh, my goal is between March and May of of twenty twenty four um like i said uh, uh the first half of it has been fully inked and we are getting colors on that as we speak uh whitney Kogar actually just sent me a bunch of colors today that i gotta look over um so i'm very excited for that one uh some amazing covers from some really cool artists uh uh will be gracing that third one um i know it's been a long time coming it's just uh it's I, I promise it's not my Marvel work that slowed it down. I've had the series written for quite some time, actually before the first Kickstarter even. Um, it's just been, you know, life happens with the rest of the creative team. Making art, especially at, at Ruben Rojas's level, is time consuming. He has a day job. Um, you know, he's had COVID, he's gotten married. Like, you know, I understand. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. it's taken some time for him. Um, and Whitney is, you know, working on like a small independent comic with like Scott Snyder, you know, um, so like, I, I get it. I get it. Oh, that guy. That, you know, that guy, guy. That guy. <laughs> that, 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 that young unknown writer. I wonder if he's going to make it in this industry. Um, Lucky. Let's see. What else? Um, I have a, a middle grade uh, graphic novel that um, we are in the process of negotiating now that I'm hoping that I'll be able to talk more about in 2024. Uh, that's Ooh. been sort of a stealth project of mine um that's that was one of my pandemic projects and actually I've, I've been working with a very talented artist uh, for about a year and a half on it. Um, and and she's phenomenal. Uh, can't wait for people to 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 see uh, to see uh, her, her, her debut on the on the American stage. I've always said that if if a publisher didn't pick this book up, I'd, I'd, I'd print it myself. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure we do have a publisher on board for that one. So I'm very excited to talk about that. And then, yeah, um, you know, beyond that, I'm just really excited. I'm just kind of, you know, leaning into Punisher, leaning into Devil, uh, wrapping up Moon Knight City, the Dead, uh, uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Uh, very excited about that book as well and then uh yeah that's that's all the stuff i can tease for now but uh, uh there's there's so cryptic there's 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 some more projects in the works right now um some fairly big swings coming um so i uh i i look forward to hopefully being able to talk about some of that uh early next year where
2: do you want to be in five
3: years dave honestly still doing what i'm doing um you know I, I i mean i i there are characters i'd love to tackle you know i i tell uh poor ricky purton every time i see him that i love dr strange and uh obviously i love what jed mckay's doing I, I don't want him to leave that book uh but when he does <laughs> um you know uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh uh give a man a call um you know i um there are so many characters uh you know i I, I, I tried to pitch something uh, involving some of the champions recently that, that that didn't quite work out. Um I love Marvel characters. I would love to do, you know, uh, I, I'd love to keep tackling all the the the, the, the different uh silos in, in in that universe i'd love to do stuff at dc too um i i haven't done anything with them yet and i got my start as a dc intern so um you know that love the characters have a lot of affection for, for for that universe a lot of my good friends you know uh are are over there you know um, Philip kennedy johnson matt rosenberg um jeremy adams i just met at new york comic-con lovely guy uh megan Fitzmartin, uh wonderful person wonderful friend um, like, I don't really subscribe to like the whole, like Marvel versus DZ rivalry, like, like some readers might, like, we're all buddies, um, uh, at least on a creative level. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I just want to keep building, you know, this is such a privilege to be able to work in this business. And and I'm grateful every day, even even the challenging days, even the frustrating days. I've never had a bad day. Um, and and so I just want to keep doing this. Um, this is my astronaut job. This is the job that when I was a kid, uh, you know, they said, if you do anything in the world, what would it be? And I'd be like, Oh, I'd make comic books. Um, I get to live that dream. How, how cool is that? Uh, and so I, I try just not to take it for granted. And, and the day I do, you, you have full permission to just kind of take me behind the woodshed. Um, yeah, we will you know, put you down. We all yell at me. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, but yeah, five years, um, I want to be doing what I'm doing, but doing it better, doing it bigger, um, and, uh, doing it faster. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. I feel pretty good.
0: Love that. Love that. Uh, any signings or appearances coming up for you through the end yes. of the year? Thank you for
3: reminding me. Um, well, let's see. Uh, so this is coming up next Tuesday. Yes. so um I will done I've done a bunch of my la signings but I will be doing uh I'll be doing some signings at uh uh the comic bug in Los Angeles um that'll be Wednesday the 15th Wait, yes Wednesday the 15th I'll be doing some signings uh at the, the comic book TBD on the time uh probably in the evening uh like four to seven and then uh, I will be at I want more comics and games in uh, in Denver um, on uh, Saturday, the 18th, uh, they were a wonderful backer uh, for our OZ campaign for a, a store signing. So I will be uh, uh, gladly finally uh, giving them their long overdue signing. So I'll be reading copies of the OZ, copies of Punisher, copies of Devil the Wears My Face and Moon Knight City of the Dead and Savage Avengers. So uh, if you're in the Denver area, I hope you stop by and uh, pay us a visit. Uh, penultimate question. What are you reading right now? Boy. Um, okay. So the first book that really springs to mind, uh, Swan Songs. I love that book. That book rules. I, I am like so impressed uh with that, with that whole book. Um, uh, let's see. I, obviously, I'm reading a ton of stuff at Marvel. Um, you know, I'm reading, uh, you know, I love uh, I, I've I've always loved the Krakoan age. So like I've been I've been devouring that. Um you know, uh, I love what Al and Kieran and Jerry are doing uh, on on their respective titles. Um, reading uh, Amazing Spider-Man, loved what Zeb and, and, and Pat Gleason did, their uh, uh, Craven's Last Hunt riff. I I, I I got to tell Zeb that a few weeks ago. Um, I'm really enjoying what Saud and Ahmed is doing over on Daredevil, um, uh, him and, and Aaron Cooter. I think that that's a really cool, interesting take on the character uh loving what jeremy adams is doing on green lantern um cy spurrier's flash is really interesting um um the the lettering especially on that is really interesting uh like i i don't usually that that is that is that is the doing really just the work of his career on that one um you know I, i i lettering doesn't usually get to play center stage in a book like that um and it is and it's very cool um what else am i reading uh i i'm wonder woman with tom king oh that rules i'm i'm real into that um i think that might be tom, my favorite of tom's work since human target since uh mr miracle like i think this feels like a monthly book that can still hit that um that those kinds of uh, those heights so i'm really excited about that uh what else am i reading uh, Fortune and Glory um, uh, Brian Bendis' uh, Substack comic with that um, you know he did a sequel to it where he was talking about um, his work on uh, Spider-Man the musical uh, but also sort of an origin story for him of how he he, he got involved in Marvel and um, I, I I got a chance to tell him um, at Baltimore Comic Con that I was like you know that's been really inspiring for me as a creator who you know I've been so fortunate to enjoy the platform that I am, but I still, and I, I, I hope other creators feel this way. Like I'm still finding my way, you know. I'm still trying to kind of keep perfecting what I'm doing and keep improving on what I'm doing. Um, so seeing kind of those kinds of behind the scenes things are are, are particularly interesting to me. Um, but yeah, there's you know, I, I tend to be pretty omnivorous in what I read. Um there's every Wednesday I really do just kind of sit down and I'm like okay here's the stack and I make my way through the whole thing. Um because uh, if I'm not doing that what the hell am I doing here? You know like I I I, I never want to be so involved in comics that I can't just enjoy some comics. Um and so yeah there's going to be a whole laundry list of things when we're done with this interview that I'm going to be kicking myself that I didn't shout out but um there's a lot It's a lot of great stuff out there. Um and uh, that's Whenever the industry looks stormy, that's the thing I remind myself is that we're this is an industry of the best creative talent in on the planet um and seeing the diversity and breadth of storytelling talent and and point of views and perspectives and emotion and art that's on display in any comic shop anywhere in the country. Um, boy, if that does not make me want to fight for this industry even harder so. Uh, that's why I get up out of bed every day. And, uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully I can add something to that too.
0: Well, David, this has been a fantastic time, uh, as it always is final question. As we release you back into the world, how can people follow you online? Keep up with Punisher, yeah. keep up with devil that wears my face and everything else that you got going on.
3: Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram at Peposd or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. You can subscribe to my newsletter Pep Talks at bit.ly/pepnews or visit my website at davidpepos.com. Right
0: on. Well, David, thank you very much as always for coming on the show.
3: My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, guys.
0: That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to wmq a on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQA at patreon.com slash where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A and a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out. A $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super-spy Pete Wisdom. A $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom breeding guides for a series, character, or creator at XF, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons lisa slack will Redman, tobias carroll natalie jordan mike sagawa will nevin liz large asimov fangirl carla pacheco and robert secundus you're all special and we love you you can follow the podcast on twitter at wmq comics me at daniel p Grote, matt lazowitz at matlas 1013 and comics xf at comics you can also follow comics xf on facebook Instagram, and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, Rob Liefeld's greatest contribution to comics isn't Deadpool or Youngblood or even Major X. It's his impression of Todd McFarlane. W-N-Q-A